Okay. So um, last week we looked at Jesus' final words to public words in John. John's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about what Jesus does after, uh, Maggie mentioned it's Palm Sunday. We did that a couple of weeks ago. We're looking, uh, we've moved beyond that a little bit in terms of our schedule. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about uh, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday day, these public interactions that Jesus has in the temple grounds with the crowds and the the Pharisees who are trying to trap him in his words so they can arrest him. John doesn't talk about any of that. He jumps straight from Sunday to Thursday night, and he has five chapters all centered around one meal. Just a couple of hours, this last supper meal that Jesus has with his 12 disciples, John dives in really deep and spends a lot of time on that material, on that last conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And today we're going to look at the beginning of that. It's the most, I think, one of the most iconic scenes in all of the Gospels, Jesus washing the the feet of his disciples. So chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped. That's now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he had said not everyone was clean. We'll pause there. So just a little bit of background. This was one of those banquet-type meals that we've talked about before, where everybody would have been reclining on their left side, feet behind them, eating with their right hand. And so a meal like this, it would have been customary when you got there for you to have your feet washed by a servant of the house. So roads are dusty, it's dry, you're wearing sandals. By the time you get from your house to the banquet, to this meal, your feet are going to be dirty. It would be, again, normal to have somebody there, a servant, who would wash your feet when you got there. If you remember from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this whole thing is set up a little different. This Last Supper, it's a little more, seems secretive. Maybe Jesus is trying to stay hidden so he can have this last meal with his disciples. He can have this conversation with them. He can prepare, he can prepare them for what's coming. And so it, it almost appears like there's nobody else in the room and, and no servants who would normally wash feet. And so the, the meal just begins. And then Jesus, in the middle of the meal stands up and puts on a towel and begins to wash feet. That would have been a showstopper. We looked at Mary anointing Jesus' feet a couple of weeks ago with oil, and we said in that room, in that setting, forks are dropping and mouths are agape at this woman letting her hair down and pouring perfume on Jesus' feet and wiping her feet with her hair. This would have been even more so. In the middle of the meal, your rabbi, teacher, master, lord, washing your feet. We see some things about Jesus's uh, perspective, maybe his frame of mind, we can say. To me, he seems really calm, kind of confident, almost in control. John says he, he knew his hour was coming. He knew he's about to die. It is just a matter of hours before he would be arrested. This is Thursday night. He'll be dead by Friday at three o'clock. And he knows that. 
Uh, we see he, Jesus knows that the Father's put all things under his power. He's not a victim. He's not being driven along by circumstances. We see that Jesus knows who he is. He knows where he came from. He knows where he's going. Again, all that to me kind of speaks to this confidence, this calm, this peace in Jesus. And as a result of all of those things, he, he washes feet. In Luke's gospel, we read that prior to this, the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest. That was part of their dinner conversation. And Jesus said, hey, come on. Whoever's going to be first is going to be last. You don't lord power over other people. The greatest is the one who serves. And so that's, that's kind of the attitude of the disciples during this time. There, there may be a little anxiety in them. You know, they didn't fully understand what was going on, but I'm wondering if they can read something. You know, Jesus, again, kind of pulling back and having this, this, uh, this private meal with them. And so Jesus starts working his way around the table, and he gets to Peter, and Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you don't understand, but yeah. And Peter says, no, no, you're not going to do that. And it's easy maybe to criticize Peter, but if it was you or if it was me, I'd have done the same thing, 100%. You go to the deli after lunch or after church and you're sitting there eating and somebody walks up to you and they get down on their knees and they start taking your shoes off. You're not going to let them finish. You're not. You're going to say this is inappropriate, not now. That's not, I mean, it. You're not going to let them do it. And, and then imagine it's Jesus. My emotional vocabulary is limited, so the word I'm going to use is squirmy. It makes me feel squirmy. And, what, and it does you too, right? The idea of somebody washing our feet makes us squirm. It's actually easier to wash feet than to have your feet washed. And I get Peter 100%. Maybe there's a little guilt there. So a little bit of shame, you know, that all the disciples come in with Jesus and nobody thinks to offer to wash anybody else's feet. And so Jesus stands up in the middle of the meal and begins to do this task. And he does it then, I think, because he's trying to make a point for sure. And so Peter has all those things swirling. And so he says, Jesus, no. And then Jesus' response, I think, is a rebuke. It's pretty strong. This exclusionary statement, if, if you don't let me do this and you're not, you're not on the team, you're not in the family, you're not one of my disciples. Peter, we've seen this throughout John's gospel where Jesus' audience is thinking on a concrete level, and he's thinking more on a spiritual level, and you see that here. Peter's thinking just about this physical act of Jesus washing his feet, and Jesus is using that more as a metaphor for something that is coming. And so he says to Peter, if you don't let me do this, you're not, gonna, you're not one of my disciples, and it's not just letting me do this physically wash your feet. If, again, if, if you've ever been in that situation, it, does, it makes me feel squirmy. And if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, Jesus, we're in the wrong, we should switch. You're not in the right position and neither am I. I should be washing your feet. And I think what Jesus is saying to Peter is, you've got to let me do this. The same posture that you have to take for me to wash your feet, you're going to have to take to receive what I'm going to do for you tomorrow. Jesus was in the wrong spot on Thursday night. He was also in the wrong spot Friday at noon, hanging on a cross as a criminal. One forsaken by God for sins he didn't commit. The sinless one, the righteous one, dying in our place. We don't like that. If I said before you left we were going to wash your feet, we tried to think about how to do that. We couldn't figure out the logistics of that. Some of you would be angry. Why didn't you let me know? You would have to go to the bathroom and you wouldn't come back. 
You just leave. You would say, if I had known, I would have cut my toenails or I would have, you would have tried to make your feet look better. That's what we do. That's one of the reasons it makes us squirmy. Our feet stink. We want to clean ourselves up. The same attitude that says, you can wash my feet, is the same posture, heart posture, we'll say the word humility, that says, I can't clean myself up. The grace that you give, the good things I don't deserve, the mercy that you give, the judgment that you withhold from me. We just sang it. We can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. And that's a hard spot for most of us. We want to pay it back in some way. We want there to be some part of us that is worthy of this forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. The same posture that says, Jesus, okay, you can wash my feet, is necessary to say, Jesus, I receive the forgiveness that you want to give to me. And so then Peter, being Peter, says, hey, wash my hands and my head as well, probably the only parts of him that don't have clothes on. And he's saying, here, wash what you can see. And he's thinking on this concrete level, and Jesus replies back and says, listen, Peter, you took a bath before you came. The only part of you that got dirty on the walk was your feet. Like, you're okay. But he's also speaking spiritually and saying, Peter, you're, it's okay. You're, you've been cleansed. And we know that when we become Christians. We're washed white as snow. Our sins are forgiven. We're a new creation. But as we live in the world, our feet get dirty in confession and repentance on an ongoing basis. That's one of the ways that we keep our feet clean, so to speak, keep our hearts clean before the Lord. But Judas, Jesus says, he's not clean because of what he's going to do. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. And then Jesus explains what we're supposed to do with this. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, Jesus asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So just like Jesus spoke on a, he used a concrete metaphor to reveal or kind of tease out this spiritual truth for us when it comes to obeying. He said, I'm setting you an example. Here's a model that you're supposed to imitate. I washed your feet. You washed other people's feet. You're not greater than me. So if I took this posture, you take this posture towards one another. We obey that command. There's both a letter and the spirit of the command, and we want to obey both. We want to obey this literal concrete command to wash people's feet physically, and we want to obey the spirit of this command to take the posture of a servant in the lives of people over time. So both of those things. Literally to wash people's feet. Thursday's Maundy Thursday. That's not a, we don't do that here in our church. There'll be other churches in our city that do. Maundy comes from the Latin word for command. In John 13, 34, closing out this little scene on foot washing, Jesus says, here's a new command that I give to you. Love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. John opens this scene, chapter 13, by saying Jesus had loved his own and he wanted to demonstrate his love for them the extent of his love for them, or he wanted to love them to the end. So foot washing is a demonstration of the love that Jesus has for us, and he says, you need to do that for one another. So these Maundy Thursday services, people will have their feet washed. 
And I would encourage you, maybe in your small group, again, we couldn't figure out the logistics of trying to do it on a Sunday morning, maybe in your small group this week, it'd be a great time in your small group to wash feet. And your small group leader will call Jeremy and tell him if you skip this week because you didn't want that to happen. It's, it's hard. It's hard to sit there. This is a great week to sit there and to be squirmy because it reminds us of the grace that Jesus gives to us and our posture towards him. We can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. We can't make our, just like you can't make your feet pretty enough to feel okay. You can't make your heart pretty enough to feel okay. We, we receive what he has for us. It's a great week to be reminded of that. So I would say literally. You don't have to do it every week or every month, but that, that's a, it should be a thing periodically where you're washing feet and really having your feet washed. What about the spirit of the command? That's more regular and ongoing. I would say daily. We take the posture of a servant in our relationships, and I think it's in all relationships. This passage is often used in leadership books to talk about being a servant leader, and that to me is neither here nor there. I don't see Jesus putting restrictions around who we serve or whose feet that we wash. It seems like it, it's everybody. If we love our neighbors and we love our enemies, well, everybody's one or the other. So it seems to me that we're washing the feet of everybody who we're in relationship with. That can seem daunting to begin to think about. So maybe think of just your primaries, three, five, seven, ten primary relationships, spouse, children, parents, siblings, employer, employees, co-workers, whatever you would consider that kind of inner circle for you. Again, three, five, seven, maybe ten at the most primary relationships. And ask yourself this question, am I washing the feet of the men and women in those relationships? Am I washing their feet on a daily basis? If you're not asking Jesus on a regular basis, what does it look like for me to wash their feet? Then hear this for what it is. You may not be loving them the way he would have you love them. It's not natural. You may not be loving people the way Jesus would have you love them if you're not asking him, Jesus, what does it look like for me to wash the feet of my spouse, of my kids, of my parents, of my employees, of my co-workers? What does it look like for me to do that? And the answers are usually very tangible things, but it can be, how do we even begin to know? A guy named Gary Chapman wrote a book probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago, called The Five Love Languages. If you got married in that window, you probably did that for premarital counseling, and it's good. It's not the Bible, but it's good, and he's spun it out into all kinds of different things like we Christians do when we hit a good idea, and you've got love languages for kids and teens and singles and co-workers and men, and so you can go on their website, and you can see all of the resources that they have. That I think those handholds are good. Those five things, you can see them up on the screen, those five different ways that people receive love, and you probably can intuitively look and see which one of those is yours. And that's okay that you know that, but it's more important that you know the love language of the people that you're in primary relationship with. If you're going to wash their feet, most likely it's going to be along the lines of that primary love language. That's what speaks to them. That's what says, I love you. Newlyweds miss this all the time, and maybe you've been there. You're cutting the grass. And she's wanting flowers. 
You're spending all this time. You're cutting the grass and you're changing the oil in the car and you're making sure the dishes are clean. You're doing all this work to show her that you love her. And she's just saying, spend some time with me. Give me flowers every now and again. You're, you're missing one another. It's important to know what those things are. Again, it's not the Bible, but it's nice handholds as you think about those primary relationships. Do you know the, the things that speak to them? The, Jesus said the two most important commands are to love God and love people, and washing people's feet is how you love them. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to show you the full extent of my love, and he washed feet, and that was a prophetic act. It was looking ahead to the next day to Good Friday for sure, but there was a reason he chose foot washing as a symbol of that. He'll go on to say, greater love has no one than he lays down his life for his friends. And again, foot washing is kind of a prophetic act looking towards the crucifixion. But for us, real practically, taking that posture of a servant in our primary relationships, looking for opportunities to wash people's feet and asking the Lord, what does it look like for me to do that? And maybe even asking the people in those primary relationships, what means the most to you? What means the most to you? What is the, what's the best way that I can show appreciation or support or encouragement? What's the best ways that I can love you that are appropriate for our relationship? And then you begin to do those things on an intentional basis. How do you take that posture over time? I didn't know this, but I saw when I was looking at some pictures yesterday, apparently um, foot washing is a thing in marriage ceremonies now. I didn't know that, but people do that. It's great. Nice photo op for sure. I think, and, and it's, it's good, like, do it. Call me in 15 years after you've had three kids and tell me if you're still washing feet. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. It's not just a one-time deal. It's easy on your wedding day. It's easy. It's not easy. After years and disappointments and difficulties and life and tired and 30 pounds, it's not easy then. It's not. How do you maintain a posture of washing feet of the people that you're in primary relationship with? Jesus knew some things, and I think it comes out of that knowing. Jesus knew his hour of in our time. Peter says, the end of all things is near. So be sober so you can pray. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And use the gift that you have received to serve other people. That's the one for us. Because the end of all things is near, use the gift that you've received, either the gift to serve or to speak, those two broad categories of gifts. Use those gifts to serve other people. Because we know the end is near, we live in light of and in view of eternity, so it's okay for us to lose now. We can lose for 10 years or 20 years or 40 years or 80 years. Whatever we've got, we can lose now. Because we're living for forever. We can humble ourselves now because God's going to exalt us forever. We can be overlooked. We can be forgotten about. We can be stepped on or stepped over now because we're secure in our future forever. If you want to take the posture of washing feet over time, not isolated acts, but over time, it's important for you to live in light of eternity. You have to know that the end of all things is near. So whatever scoreboards there are in this world don't matter. 
They don't matter. All that stuff burns. It's all temporary. What matters is the kingdom that is coming that will last forever. And you're positioning yourself for that kingdom, not for this one. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. If you want to take a posture of washing feet over time, vital to know that Jesus holds all things together. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, another great passage. Functionally, this is who Jesus is and what he does. And one of the things that Jesus does is he holds all things together. So because Jesus is holding my life together, then my hands are free to serve you. And because you know Jesus is holding your life together, your hands are free to serve me. We don't have to, I don't have to grab for things, and I don't have to try to hold on to things because Jesus has my life. Not just when I'm on vacation and I don't have any responsibilities and I have a little extra money in the bank, but when things are terrible, Jesus has me. He's holding my life together, and so then I'm free to give my life away. I don't have to grasp for anything because he's got everything. Not easy to live that way. Jesus knew who he was. He was coming from the Father and returning to the Father. Those are identity statements. We've been chosen by God, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. We've been chosen by him. We've been picked by him, not because we're cute, not because we're good, not because we have a lot of potential, but in his great love for us, he's adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. And so because you're a child of the king, you're free to take the posture of a slave or a servant. In the best sense of the word, you don't need anything from anybody because you have everything in him. And so it's okay, again, if you're overlooked, If you're misunderstood, if you're run over, it doesn't matter because you're a child of the king. Jesus, because he knew where he was going and he knew where he was from, the Bible says the next word there after that statement about his understanding of who he is, so, so he got up and wrapped a towel around his waist. His self-understanding led directly to this posture of being a servant of washing the feet of his disciples, and realize who's in the room. Judas, we already know, we just read, it's already been put in his heart by the devil. He's already been prompted by the devil, your Bible may say, to betray Jesus. He hadn't done it yet, but he's already decided that's what he's gonna do. Jesus washes his feet. He washes the feet of Peter, who he knows is about to deny him. And he washes the feet of James and John, who just a week before had come up to him with their mama and said, hey, when you're ruling and reigning, let us sit on your right and your left. John, the beloved disciple, as close to Jesus as anyone, still didn't get it. Just a few days before, had requested a seat of honor. He washes the feet of Andrew and of Thomas and of Matthew. All whom would desert him within a matter of hours. We wash feet. Some of you may be thinking in terms of you're thinking of those primary relationships and you may be thinking this is inappropriate. It's not appropriate. Our relationship doesn't lend itself to that. I think particularly of parents. For most of us, we don't apply this principle to our parenting. We don't think of washing the feet of our children. We're in a position of authority over them. Some of you are employers and you may think, hey, I'm gonna wash the feet of my employees, but even that, there are limits to that. I don't see any of that here in this passage. 
whatever positional gap you perceive between you and these other people in your primary relationships, whatever the gap is, the gap between Jesus and the 12 is greater. And he chose to wash their feet. The gap between Jesus and Judas, the gap between Jesus and Peter, the gap between Jesus and James and John, it's greater than any gap between me and anybody else in my life. And so if he can take the posture of a servant then, then I can take the posture of a servant now. I think, again, over time, the only way to maintain that is to be 100% confident who I am as a child of God. 100% confident that Jesus holds my life together. 100% confident that I'm living for eternity. And so I'm okay if I lose now. That's what it means. I want you to, we got a couple of minutes, so we're, uh, let's take a few minutes and pray before we need to be done uh, this morning. Bo's going to come back. I want you to think about this. In your mind, 10 is too many. Think of three. Three primary relationships. In any of those relationships, would you characterize the dynamic as a battle of wills? It's a battle of wills. It, we're, I'm thinking of like that picture of two guys arm wrestling, and they're both exerting all of their effort but they're, no, nobody's winning. They're taking everything they have just to kind of hold that stalemate. Does that describe any of those primary relationships for you? With your teenagers, are you, are you going toe-to-toe with your teenager? What does it look like, even though you have a position of authority to take a posture of a servant in that relationship? That's scary to think about. What if they take advantage of me? What if they wrong me? What if they run me over? Yep. What if they betray you and you get arrested? What if they desert you? What if they deny knowing you? That's part of the deal. We're not trying to win in relationships in that way. We're not trying to exert our will. We're trying to love people the way Jesus loved us. It's scary. As you think about those primary relationships, is there one that you would say we're at a stalemate? We're exerting all of our effort. I'm exerting all of mine. I'm afraid if I let up, you're going to pin me to the mat. What would it look like? Just, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just asking you to ask the Lord. What would it look like for you to say, Jesus, what does it look like for me to take the posture of a servant in this relationship? Don't worry about the power dynamics. You just ask him, what would it look like for me to take the posture of a servant? How do I wash fill in the blanks feet? How do I wash their feet? Not to manipulate, not to score points not to indebt them to me. Out of obedience to you, following your example. To maintain that posture over time, again, you've, 
you have to be convinced that the end of all things is near. And so you're living for eternity. Do you know that? You have to be convinced that Jesus holds all things together. Are you sure? You have to be absolutely confident that you've been adopted into the family of God, that you're a child of the King, and that that relationship is locked down and secure. Do you live that way? If not, I'd be asking the Lord for revelation in those areas where you maybe you're not quite convinced. If you jump straight to trying to wash feet, you're going to burn out. You're not going to be able to maintain that posture for long. The first time somebody doesn't say thank you and hurt. Holy Spirit, I pray for each one of us that you would give us grace to know, as sure as we know our names, we would know that you've adopted us to the family of God. That we would know, as sure as we know our names, that Jesus holds all things together in our lives. We would know, as surely as we know our, our names, that the end of all things is near. And that eternity is pinching in on this world that we live in. And I pray from that secure and unshakable foundation that every man and woman and every student in this room would be released, would be freed, would be empowered to wash the feet of those that you've placed in our lives. Without manipulation, without keeping a record of our rights, but to genuinely and humbly wash the feet to serve those that you've placed around us. As we move towards Easter this week, I pray that we would all be reminded not just of you washing feet on Maundy Thursday, being in the, quote, wrong position there, but we would also be reminded of what you did on Good Friday. Again, you in the wrong position, taking the bearing the, the penalty for our sin, dying in our place. We want to receive that grace into our life. We know it's that grace that enables us to serve others well. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We've got a couple of minutes for ministry. We'll have teams up here. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. But I would say particularly if when you were kind of quiet if some pictures, some people popped into your mind, some places where maybe you're arm wrestling in relationship, a battle of the will, uh, maybe uh, if you'd be willing to come forward and allow us to pray just that God would give you grace to take that posture of serving. It's one thing to say it in here. It's another thing to kind of say it in the heat of the moment um, with, with that other person. So we just want to pray for the Lord to strengthen you and give you grace in that. So you guys can stand. Come forward as you see fit. And Bo will dismiss us in about three minutes.